Bibles to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we've got these ones here for you. Raise your hand. Don't feel weird about this. We do it every week. If you want to follow along with us, get your hand up. We'll get your Bible to you. Anyone? Last chance? No? Anyone just want to meet Sydney? No? Okay, great. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Start turning. We're going to do the entire chapter today. So we do have to move somewhat quick, but if this is your first time as you step into the book of Acts with us, we're about five weeks in, okay? Um, And and this story for us is an incredible story because I think it can easily translate and speak to what does it mean for us to try and be the church? Because that's really what the book of Acts is. It's just the church being the church. We we said the other day that this, this isn't really any ism, it's just Christianity, Right? This isn't any, any particular special thing or any ideological thought. It's just Christianity. Like what we see the church doing is what the church is called to do, whether it's 2,000 years ago or it's today. And so we, we nuance that and we navigate it based on our cultural context. But this book is a tremendous opportunity for us to learn and then to apply. And so for 2,000 years now, the church has lived in response to the work of God on the cross. And what we see throughout the book of Acts over and over and over is this cycle of God's work and then a people who look upon that work in awe, right? Saying like, God, what are you doing? What does this mean? And then what you see often then is the people of God coming in to clarify, well, this is what's going on. Like, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And then out of that becomes the response of of salvation or dedication or God, I'm in or following of Christ, And this cycle repeats itself again today, as it just did recently when we saw the Holy Spirit, God in the spirit form, come and indwell his people at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, they're just hanging out in the upper room, and God's presence, his spirit, falls upon the people. The people who watch hear this loud sound. They say, man, what is that? What does this mean? And then Peter preaches this sermon directly after that. 3,000 people get saved. And then we saw last week they had the greatest small group situation ever, and they found a way to get 3,000 people plugged into a local church. They went from 150 to 3,150 overnight and did not skip a beat. Now, Here's my thought, and especially if you're here last week, you would, you would know that the community that we heard about last week was awesome. Like, it was a community that I think each and every one of us in the room would want to be part of, to say, yeah, like, if, if I was going to sign up for something, that, I'd, I'd sign up for that. Like, to be known, to know people, to be loved, to be engaged, to be on mission with, the whole deal, I think we'd all sign up for that. Now, I think the reality is, is that it would have been really, really easy for the early church to just stay in that community. Like, I think it would have been really easy for the church to just say, you know what, like, it's been good, and this thing we have going on here is incredible, so let's just stay and keep doing this. Let's keep gathering in our homes. Let's keep breaking bread together. Let's keep praying. Let's keep experiencing the favor of God. Let's just stay and stay instead of saying, no, no, we're supposed to be outside this. And so what we're going to see today is this first moment where you begin to see the church say, all right, we're going to explode out of just this central thing and say, we exist for more than just us. In fact, that we would see that from the beginning of time, we have existed as God's people for the blessing of the nations. And that has not changed. And so this cycle will repeat itself today. And so let's open up to Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and let's read. 
Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, Peter and John are just going to go do their, their duty, right? As, as law-abiding Jews, it, it was time to come to the temple. It was time to pray. It was time to worship. It was time to come into the presence of God. And so they were going. I mean, this is what they would do. And on the way, they come into contact with this guy. Alms is just kind of a fancy Bible way of just asking for a handout, right? That's to bless someone who is in need is to give alms. And so this man, I don't know who, would carry, or some men would carry this guy, set him at the temple, and say, hey, just do your thing. People will bless you here. And so Peter and John, on their way to church, get interrupted by this guy. And I love just the picture. Maybe it's just a nugget of wisdom for us this morning or something for us to think about and question our own hearts. What do we do in this situation? What do we do when all of a sudden, man, you have your best laid plans in front of you. You're all set up to go somewhere to go do something. And then something comes and says, "Ah, well, what about this? Could you help me here? What happens when you are divinely interrupted by God to serve him and make his name known? Do you respond? Now, the other day, well, actually, this happened a while ago. This is like, I don't know, six months ago or something. My neighbor across the street, Olson, awesome dude, him and his little daughter, they're out, and I'm getting ready to leave for work or leave for a meeting, and I'm already late to the meeting, or I'm not late to me. I would have been on time for the meeting, and I, I hate being late. Like, I'm not an organized person whatsoever, but punctuality is just a big deal for me. My old mentor used to tell me that if, if you're late to a meeting, you're just tacitly telling that person that your, your time is more important than theirs. Now, whether you believe that or not, I believe that, right? So I hate being late to meetings. And so I'm getting into my car. I'm like, I'm just going to make it on time. No problem. I see Olson and his daughter come outside their house. And his little daughter is just so sweet. And she's bawling, like just crying her eyes out. And I think to myself, should I go ask or do I just get in my car and start driving? Now, I love my neighbors. You know, I try to love my neighbors, I should say. And so I was like, all right, let me go ask. I say, what's going on? I said, oh, the dog got out, and she's afraid that he's going to get hit by a car. And we live just off Highway 89, so that's not too much of a, of a you know, that could happen, right? And so I'm like, all right, I have this thought in my mind, okay, do I be on time for my meeting, or do I help out these neighbors of mine? And so, because I'm like Jesus, um, I help out my neighbor, and I text my friend, I say, Hey, man, I'm going to be late for a meeting saving a dog. Right? That's all I say. I don't say anything else. Uh, and he just wrote back question mark. I just let it sit, you know. Um, and so I go and I, and I help my friend Olson. And sure enough, dog runs over to 89. I grab the dog. I bring the dog back. And the, kid, the girl stops crying. She's blessed. And there's just an opportunity for me to love my neighbor, right? Now, now this is just a small moment, right? But, but I would contend that you and I have these moments over and over and over in our lives, And do we take advantage? Or do we say, you know what? I've got my thing I've got to be at. And God, I'm not willing for for you to inconvenience my schedule. Or do we say, and at least, listen, I'm not saying that every time you have to choose to be late to the meeting. What I'm saying is, will you consider with me what it means to be Peter and John here who say, you know what? Maybe my time is not my own. Uh, maybe my destination is not my own and God has something different for this time and so let me walk in this instead. 
I'd love for us to be a people who do that. Who, who say, man, I, I am going to serve the other even at inconvenience to myself. And so what will Peter and John do with this? And let's see if they're as holy as I. Verse four, Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And what a scene, right? Like, by a show of hands, how many other people have seen this? Okay? Today's the day. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> Jim, get in here. Right? No. This is amazing, right? Like, these guys walk in. This guy who's just sitting, they had, okay, we're going to go worship and we're going to go pray. We're going to spend our time with the Lord. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. This guy's on the ground. Hey, can you help me out? You know what? I don't have anything, but here's what I got. I got Jesus. Let me pray for you, friend. Let us us beseech the God who made your legs to fix your legs. Let me beseech the God who created walking as a thing to let you walk again. And they do it, and it works. Wow. Would you, would I, allow God to interrupt us enough that we could offer Christ to the world? What, what does that look like in your day? And listen, I, I don't know what your day looks like. I don't know what it means when these moments pop up, but I guarantee you there, because here's why. The book of Acts is not about your work. It's not about your goodness, not about your value, not about what you do well. It's all about what God does well. It's about a God who's on mission. And because God's on mission, that means stuff's always popping up. And what we know from the beginning of the Bible is that he uses mankind to bring his blessing to the world. Genesis chapter one, let me create Adam and Eve, let them start a family and that they would bless the world. Genesis chapter 12, let me call Abraham, I will make him a father of many nations that he would be blessed to be a blessing. Moving on throughout scripture, bringing together a people named Israel that would be blessed to be a blessing. Coming in power and empowering a people with the power of the Holy Spirit to be Christ in the world, blessed to be a blessing. What does it look like for us to allow God to come in and say, Wait, okay, I know, and listen, especially for a lot of us in the room, we live in Flagstaff, tough city to live in, not exactly, we're not all financially crushing it, right? There's a lot of nervous laughter. <laughs> like, oh God, does he know? Like, uh. Maybe it's, maybe we don't have money. There's not like, maybe it's not, hey man, maybe it is when you walk out, look, I don't have money, but I've got Jesus. Now, now this moment, I know, pops up for me every single day that I go to work. Because every single day, our office is located here in downtown Flagstaff. And there are always, always a group of, God, a group of men or a group of women or, or mixed or whatever. And they're all just sitting on the corner right next to Pita Pit. Okay? And usually they're playing some music or they're doing something. And they're always asking. And usually I do what I imagine most of us do is say, sorry, man and I go to my office. And then I read that like three weeks ago and just felt like silly. 
Because it's true, I don't carry cash. I don't know anyone who does anymore. I always tell that to our homeless friends. I'm like, look, man, like no one carries cash anymore. You need a square reader. Like, let's <laughs> slide that sucker. I will give every time, okay? But I'm, I'm like, listen up, man. Like, why don't I say, you know what? Actually, I don't have anything. But, man, can I pray for you? Like, what's going on in your life right now that I could beseech the God of the universe that made you to restore you? And I don't. Why? Because either I'm nervous and timid, and we're going to see the church pray for boldness in just a couple weeks, or, or maybe it's just because I'm so focused on my destination that I don't allow God's destination to take over in that moment. Whatever it is, what does it mean for us in light of the gospel? Because God is always at work for us to be obedient to his calling. To see what we have as not our own. And that's at every level of what we would consider possession. Every resource you have. Blessed to be a blessing. So this is what they do. They, they, they see this guy and they heal him. And the picture that pops in my mind, I was talking with some other pastors about it, is how many people, and I know some of us, right, younger crowd, but how many people have seen the original Willy Wonka? Okay. Yeah, oh, yes. Okay. There's hope for millennials, right? Amen. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm actually, I actually am one too by a day. Now, 18, 1984 is the cutoff for millennials. I was born on January 1st, 1984, so solidarity, friends. Um, <laughs> In Willy Wonka, there's this incredible scene, right, where uh, Grandpa Joe is laying in bed, and he's just kind of lamenting life. Like, it just looks just like, this is terrible. This is downtrodden. And, and then what happens, right? He, he, he gets the golden ticket, and he finds out that, hey, I'm going to get to go to this chocolate factory, and so what does he do? Does anyone remember the scene? He pulls back the sheets, he jumps out of the bed, and he starts to dance, right? Like this. this is, it's better, right? He's like, boom. He dabs it. I debated when I'm not doing that. I shouldn't have done it. And he begins dancing around the room. And you get this, right, you at watching the film, you begin to get this joy and this elation in your heart just watching it. Like, Grandpa Joe is happy, I'm happy. And everyone else that's in the room in that scene, they begin to dance, they begin to smile, they begin to begin filled with joy. They begin to wonder, man, I also now live in the joy that you live in because it overflows from you, Joe. And then he goes and he takes his grandson and they have this incredible experience. I just, I just wonder, uh, in this scene, but also just in our lives, and I asked you guys last week, when was the last time you felt you lived and you understood or thought through the bigness and the incredibleness of God and lived in awe of who he is and what he's done? Because as we live in awe, the world has to know what's going on. As we celebrate the work of God, the world begins to say, why are you so joyful, friend? What is going on in your life? How can you allow yourself to be interrupted and still act and live in such profound joy? What does that look like? And then we have the opportunity to do what Peter does right now, which is to preach the gospel. 
So we live our lives faithfully because God's always at work in the hearts of man. So that means we go to work, we work really hard, we do business well, we do life well, we go to the playground well, we raise our kids well. We do all of this because as God's working in the hearts of man, they would look at the joy and the life of the church and say, what is that? Can I live in that? What does that mean? We get the opportunity, like Peter does here, to preach the gospel. And so let's continue on verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So so the people in the scene begin to say, what, what?" again, that cycle, right? What, What is going on here? God... Like, is this God? What, what is the deal? How did this happen? Because before, I mean, we were the guys that helped put that guy in his place, and now that guy's walking and dancing around like Grandpa Joe from the movie I saw last week, right? So you guys are like, wait a minute. They didn't have TV. Um, what, is, what is God doing? What, actually more, what are you guys doing? Who are you? What is up with your life? Again, asking of now the church as we translate it to today. I remember the first time that I, I saw, I guess what you'd call like a supernatural miracle, right? Like, like so I, I think miracles are on it, like, and this isn't like some cool Oprah moment. Like, I just think miracles are going on all the time. Like, I think the fact that I'm breathing as a miracle you know what I mean? Like, I think the fact that, that Jesus came and died the death of me, that is a miracle. I think the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in our hearts somehow, I don't know how that, that's navigated, that's a miracle, and on and on and on. Miracles, I think, all over the place. But when we think through that general term, a supernatural miracle, I remember the first time I saw one. And, and, and going into it, I, I honestly, I was a bit skeptical. Like, I don't know if I would, as we call it in the church, a cessationist, meaning like the gifts have ceased, right? I don't think that was me, but I definitely was like, ah, I don't know, Right? A skeptic at best. And I found myself in West Africa doing some work in a mud hut village, working with a tribe of 60,000 people called the Yalunka people. And we walk up, and I was actually telling some people this story this week, but we walk up into the village, and as we get there, we first arrive, there is this man chained to a tree with metal chains all around him, thrashing about. I mean, just losing it, screaming, growling, thrashing. And I say to the people, I say, what in the world is that? Say, oh, he's got a demon. Just super casual, no big deal. Like, it's just a demon, right? And I say, what? what what's up? <laughs> um, and I say, like, like screw tape letters, demon. And he go, and the guy just chuckles, right? So, <laughs> and that's it. So I said, well, what's the story? Like, is he going to be chained to that tree forever? Do you feed him? Like, what, what's the deal? They say, well, here's what happens. Every time this happens, um, they go to the local imam. Now, West Africa, highly Muslim, okay? So they go to the local imam first. He says, when it doesn't work with the imam, they, they go to the witch doctor. And when the witch doctor, they practice animism, right? So they go to the witch doctor. When it doesn't work for the witch doctor, they'll finally come to the Christian church, of which there are 14 believers in this entire village of 60,000, Okay? They come finally to the Christian church. And I say, okay. I say, how long does that take? He says, yeah, it depends, you know, when they can get the witch doctor in because he lives in a different village and stuff. And so anyway, they go to the imam while we're there. Imam comes, does his thing, doesn't work. 
and they go get the witch doctor, okay? Witch doctor comes in, and he brings a couple of his buddies. They do like the full deal. We're watching it. It is tripping me out. Doesn't work. So finally, they come to the pastor of the church. They say, hey, we've been asked to go and get this guy. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah. So we come. We help unchain this guy. We are dragging this guy through the village because he won't walk, okay? Like dragging him through the dirt because he won't walk. We bring him down to the other side of the village. There's this small, tiny, little house, church that they built out of mud. Candle lit at night, the whole deal. And they bring him in, they cross over the threshold, and the second he ends up in the church, the guy falls flat. And he is kicking and screaming the whole way. So just imagine flailing. The moment he crosses over, just boom, flat. Three of the guys come around him, they lay hands on this guy, gets up, he sits on a chair, he says something in Yalunka. And I say, what did he say? He said, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? That was it. Demon was gone. And I say, and I look at the guy, and I was like, well, what just happened? He's like, hey, man, like, this just happens. I said, how often? He says, like, this is, like, monthly for us. This is monthly for you. Now, now, now I'm sitting there, and again, my world is being rocked by this, of just, like, this doesn't fit the rock church Christianity that I had in San Diego. And that's not a critique on the rock church. It's just, like, that stuff ain't going on there. Or at least I'm not seeing it which is always a possibility. But I remembered I was confronted with the reality of I gotta do something with this. I have to try and find a way to reconcile what I'm seeing. And then I came back to scripture and and I thought, wow, it's not that weird. Like I came back and read the Bible and was like, oh yeah, no, actually that's everywhere. Like, Like this stuff is, that is kind of the norm. And so, man, I had to then like come back to this moment and, my, and what I knew of church to say, well, okay, well, like, uh, what does that mean for Christianity in my life? And I'll be honest, like, since that moment, I have still never cast out a demon. I haven't seen possession like that ever since then, right? So it's not like it just clicked for me and then I got this vision and lens for the supernatural realm. But all I'm asking us to do is to say, God is always at work and he's doing miraculous things, including this type of stuff. And we need to open our eyes a little bit. We need to not be so shocked. I don't think it's necessarily the norm. And that's only because I just don't see it all the time. But maybe it's supposed to be. I don't know. I am wrestling with these things. And I hope you'll wrestle with me. And we're going to go through the book of Acts. And I tell you, it just keeps coming up. There's no avoiding it. What's most important for us to pull from this moment is that there is a God who is at work in this world and he is not stopping until it's over. And he has asked you and me and those in here that follow Jesus to be part. And it is the meta-narrative of your life. If you're a Christian, it is the meta, in other words, it is the story that overarches your life and has information to download upon every aspect of who you are. And this is just one of the stories where these guys were obedient and saw it come. And so here, let's listen to Peter's sermon as he responds to these people as they ask, what in the world is happening? When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of 
Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Now, come on, Peter. Like, throw, throw me a bone. Like, you're asking me why I'm shocked right now. Um, hello, because a dude that was crippled is no longer crippled. That's why, Peter. Why are you shocked, church, when God moves? Why am I constantly, so look, I'm just going to be honest, man, we, we were praying with, well, there's Jay, we were praying over Jay at RC on Wednesday night, his hand was hurting, we prayed over his hand, his hand didn't hurt anymore, and I'm thinking to myself like, really, Jay, let me grab it again, friend, right? Why do I not expect God to move? Why am I surprised when I look upon the friend that I thought never would love Jesus that now loves Jesus. That's what he's in the business of doing, is winning over the hearts of men and women and humanity in this world. Why am I surprised when God intervenes? Also, why am I surprised when God intervenes when I don't like it to correct me in my own jacked up self? He is on mission for me, for you, and for every person and everything and every part of this creation. So if he is the sovereign king of this universe, it should not shock us that he's moving. Like the people in the story, I think it's because we forget too often what God has done for us, what he's done in this world. So he's, listen, his defense, Paul's def- or sorry, Peter's defense here is like, why are you shocked? This is the same God that's been around since the beginning. He's the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who, man, he called us together in Abraham. He gave us a nation. He's the God who raised up a king when we asked. He's the God who delivered us from our enemies. He's the God who took us out of Egypt. He's the God who gave us the promised land. He's the God who gave us his word and his law and his presence. Why would you ever doubt him? Church, this is the God who went to a cross to die for your sins, that you would be saved, then defeated death on the third day, that you would have new life. Why do you ever, why do I ever doubt him? Do we forget what he's done? Do we not think it actually happened? Do we believe that there was a dead king named Jesus that rose three days later and now reigns from heaven? Why are we so shocked that a God who is still alive, that has done everything we've ever seen, is still at work today? Why do you doubt? Why do I doubt? It's so awesome to hear Peter bring this message up because if you know the life of Peter throughout the Gospels, he's just kind of a bonehead. Like he... (laughs) Like, he just makes terrible decisions. He questions all this stuff. He asks dumb questions. He puts his foot in his mouth over and over, and he is just a fool at times. Now, what's awesome is is this word that he uses here, this this denied word, it's the same word that is used in the gospel account of Peter 
denying Christ when the rooster crows. When they come to Christ three times and say, hey, are you with this guy? Three times he says, no, man, I'm not, I'm not with that guy. He's not, he's not with me. I'm not with him. Don't worry. And he uses the exact same language here in, in calling out these people saying, listen, you denied Jesus in his own personal indictment of saying, I did too, but guess what? He rose from the dead. The resurrection is so central to this text, it's central to the entire book of Acts. The guy's alive now. So that means some things. So what we're going to find here is that he continues to preach this gospel. There is absolutely more good news for them. But he calls the people out. He's like, listen, guys, you've missed it. You've missed Jesus. All of our prophets, all of our texts, everything we've studied over our whole lives as Jews, it pointed to this guy and we missed it. That's foolishness. There's hope. That's the second part of his sermon, and so let's read that. 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. He's like, listen, you missed it, but there's hope. You killed the Savior, but there's hope. And here's why. Because what you intended for evil, God intended for good. The irony of the gospel is that what they thought they were doing was killing this movement, this thing, right? That was going to cause this uprising, this overturn, was going to throw everything upside down. And it did. But the irony is that the one they killed is the only one that could save them. And is the only one that would save them should they live in faith so they tried to kill this guy it didn't work and it is only by his death his blood that they're cleansed anyway because the God of the universe who made you and I is still at work today he's at work in this scene he's at work 2,000 years later here at Flagstaff High School and across our city this morning as Christians and non-Christians gather to hear about this Jesus and to say, man, what does that mean for my life? Now, I, I um, was getting ready to leave my house uh, not too long ago, and uh, I'm desperately looking for my keys. Has anyone ever had that moment, right? Like you're, you're running late, and of course that's the day your keys get stolen, right? Um, and so I'm pouring through the home. Verity's upstairs, I think still sleeping, so I'm, you know, just tearing through stuff in the room. I'm throwing clothes in the air. Verity's like, what are you doing, you know? And um, in a sweeter voice than that, um, more like, what are you doing, babe? You're amazing. I love you. Um, you know, but somewhat, you know, it was early. And so, uh, 
And so it's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for my keys. I can't find my keys. And I don't know where they're at. I'm going to be late. And you know, I hate being late. And so I go, and it's probably like 15 minutes later. I'm late for my meeting at this point. And so I was like, you know what? Forget this. And I go, and I just start closing doors because everything was untidy from me tearing through the house. And so I'm closing doors, and I close the laundry door. And on the other side of the laundry door is where we keep all our car keys um, and uh, on the key rack. And, uh, and so I close the door, and, and what's there but my car key? <laughs> exactly where it should be, okay? And exactly where I looked the first time. And, uh, and so I grab it, and I'm just beating myself up, you know. I'm like, man, you moron, you know. It was right there the whole time, and he just missed it. What's, what's wrong with you? And here's what, what clicked to me. And, you know, and we've said this before that just for some reason, like gospel illustrations, like it just, that when, you, when you talk and have to preach so much, this stuff pops in your head. And, and so there I'm thinking like, man, this is just like the gospel. And I said, how so, Vince? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I realized that the key that then I had in my hand was a key to the Toyota Camry, which is my wife's car. Now, now I drive a Honda Ridgeline, which is a truck, okay? Oh, man. And, uh, just kidding. And, uh, it's like the ugliest truck ever, actually, if you've ever seen it. it. It looks like a weird hot dog. And so, um, and so here's what I realized. I said, I was, this whole time, I'm tearing through the home. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for my Honda Ridgeline key. And the whole time, the car that I was supposed to be driving was hanging on the key hook, and it didn't click to me until that moment. Oh, there's the key that I was looking for. And here's what pours into my mind as I finally get into my wife's car and I start driving to this meeting was this is, one of the, this is what they were struggling with. This is why they killed Jesus. Because they were looking for something different. They missed Jesus because they were looking for some other result. They were looking to get into a different car. They were looking to get into a car that was going to give them power. It was going to give them deliverance. It was going to give them everything that they thought they wanted. It was going to allow for their lives to finally be, well, outside of Roman captivity. It was going to allow their lives to finally have everything that they wanted to have. To say, man, Jesus, you're here. The Messiah's here. We are finally free to be back in the promised land. It's all, we will rule them, and on and on. And Jesus is like, that's, that's not what I came for. My gospel is a gospel of sacrifice. My story is a story of me laying it down to bring other people up. My story is a love that lives for others. And so what happened, the reason why they missed it is that they were looking for the wrong gospel. And I fear that the church in our world today has done the same thing. We look and we strive and we pour over and we believe and we hope for a wrong gospel. A gospel that says that this moment here is penultimate. How big can we pack this thing? A gospel that says, man, hopefully my bank account is larger and larger and larger so when I get to the end of my life, I can just do nothing with it when I die. A gospel that says that my status is penultimate, that says what people think of me, how many likes I can get, that that is important in this world. A gospel that says your life is supposed to be quaint and tidy and you should have everything you want. That is not the gospel of the Bible. And we miss Jesus when we aim for the wrong gospel. So let's not miss Jesus. Let us pour through this book and say, okay, what do we constantly see as the ethic of the kingdom of God, which seems to point to a savior and a king and an exemplifier who said, I lay it down for others. 
an ethic and a law in Scripture that says, lay it down for others, and so let us be a church who lays it down for others. Amen? Amen. Let us allow God, as if that's even a thing, I guess, to divinely and consistently interrupt our lives that we could serve people, that we could bless people. And you will be blessed so that you keep being a blessing. You will be poured into so you can pour into others. You will be loved so you can love others. That's what the church can do for each other is to be that system and that support that as God is always working, that we can come in and say, all right, God, well, what, what, what part here do we play? And let's come around each other and it allows us to do it, I mean, with some fighting chance of doing it well. And that's the gospel that we need to believe in. And it leads to, I love this, I love this line, I'm gonna read it again, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 14 says it's, only, it's in the presence of God that we find the fullness of joy. That's, that, man, I feel like I find joy or happiness in a ton of things, but in the presence of God is where I find the fullness of joy. So all the things that our world is clamoring for right now, found in the presence of God. But we have to know him. We have to know what he's about. We have to stop chasing after the wrong vehicle to hop into. Let's wrap up. Verse 21. The so what of all this? Whom heaven, talking about Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Christ came, he left, but he's coming back. And when he's coming back, he will restore everything. But until then, there's work to do. Okay. Until then, there's work to do. It's Jesus before he ascends on the mount, giving the great commission to the people to go and disciple the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey every command that I have given. We got work to do. And what we see, and is so incredible again, and I repeat our narrative here, Peter and John, living in the perfect community of the early church, did not let that community be the thing that stifled the mission they were called to live in. Instead, they went out, and they allowed God, who was always at work, to interrupt their lives as often as he wanted to, that people would know about this Christ who lived, died, and raised. That there would be rejoicing and awe amongst the people. So if you're here and you're a Christian, listen and respond. Live like Jesus. Like, live like Jesus. Now, when I say listen, pour over the good news of the gospel. 
Because the reality is, is listen, nothing you do or I have done has earned this gift. And it is only by this gift that we have a fighting chance at this. It's only by constantly returning to Jesus. Jesus, why would you do this? If we don't live in awe of what Christ has accomplished, the rest of the, hey, let's go change the world stuff, it's just rah-rah, it means nothing. Because it will just stop a second later. I've lived it. Let us be a people who live in awe and constantly listen to the gospel from the mouths of each other, from the mouths of our Bibles, get your word, okay? And allow that awe to lead you towards service, okay? Um, last story. I don't, my watch died, so I don't know what time it is. What time is it? Can I get five more minutes? Y'all go with that? Some people are like, no. Well, I gotta walk to the bathroom. It's a mile away. Um, my son, Finley, was sick a couple weeks ago. You guys, I think I told you all about that. But we were out in New York City, and uh, we're staying with my brother, and my brother's awesome. He's got a great job in New York City, which means absolutely nothing because everything is so expensive, right? So, so he bought an 800-square-foot condo for $1.25 million, right? Um, and so he lives in a hamster box, and so um, two-bedroom, and so one of the bedrooms is their nursery for their little toddler, Jack, who's awesome. And so my wife and I stayed in, 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 the, in the nursery, and, and then Jack went and slept with them. So we're in this nursery, and there, there is a uh, uh, twin-size air mattress, okay? Twin-size air mattress, not crazy comfortable. Um, and there were two of them. And so initially the first night, Verity and I were sleeping together, and Finley was in his crib, and he was sick so that he wasn't having that, so he came and slept with us. And honestly, listen, like, I'll be honest, I'll just, I snore. Like, I'm a snorer, okay? It's, it's bad. And so, um, so Verity often will kick me out or something, and I'll sleep outside the front door, you know, or something like that. And um, so what happened was, was this one night, and Finn was at the, the apex of his sickness, Okay, he is just not feeling super well. Fever of like 102, 103, somewhere in there. Super bad cough, bacterial infections, the whole deal. So he wasn't going to sleep in his crib. So I'm sleeping in the twin size bed. Okay, and I'm a twin size bed. Okay, and so I like nothing else fits, right? And I take this kid who is, you know, he's 30 pounds. But if you've ever tried to pick up something when it's asleep. It's like an anvil, right? Like it's just so heavy. And so it's Finn and I on this twin size air mattress and I am doing everything I possibly can to make sure he gets a good night's sleep. So I'm sleeping like this, you know, just back all contorted, legs sweating, you know, like muscles are tense everywhere. Why? Because all I desperately wanted was for my son to have a good night's sleep. Like, it wasn't even a question in my mind. I wasn't Finn scoot over, right? I wasn't like, hey, man, let me, let me ball you up so that daddy can get comfortable. The love for my son won out every time. This is the gospel for us. The love of Christ for you and for me and for the world that was lost won out. And so he obviously inconvenienced himself to the fullest and gave his life for us. But love is the motivating factor for him. It's the motivating factor for us. So as we go out and we leave this place this morning, 
We go to care for our city. We go to jobs. We try and work well and, and put time and energy into using our vocations and what we do and our friendships and our neighbors to love the world. Please, as much as you can, reflect on what it means to be motivated by love. Because if you love your neighbor, you'll serve your neighbor. Because Christ so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I don't know what brought you with us this morning. I don't know why you came. I believe in a God who appoints and authors this story that we live in. Acts 17 says that nothing is by chance or mistake, that he appoints the times and places that we dwell. So I think you're here on purpose. And my ask of you is that you'd repent and believe. That you'd come before Jesus and say, man, I'm in. That's, that's, that's just true. Sort me out, Lord. You don't need to get sorted out before you come. God does the sorting well after. Repent and believe. And church, let's just be this people. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, Lord. As is the definition of grace, it is completely and fully undeserved. The gospel is a, is a good news for us because we just kind of stink on our own. And maybe I just speak for me, Lord. I, I pray, God, that I and, and the rest of everyone here and your church here in this world would have a greater awe and a greater vision for what you've done that the gospel would be paramount in our lives and that we would just continue to join in in the cycle of your work here in this world. God, allow us to, to help in any way we can. Again, that means sanctifying us. It means drawing us closer to Christ. It means enlightening us. It means putting your spirit in us. So Heavenly Father, we just ask for you to move today. We know we can do no good thing without you. We know no heart is changed without your movement, your power, your gospel. So move in our hearts. Make us more like Christ. Shape us and mold us to be your people. And for any of those that are here, God, that, that just, they, they don't know you or they showed up today not knowing you, but God, you, man, you're just coming after them. God, I pray that today would be the day of, of harvest and, and salvation that you would bring about your goodness, your salvation, your forgiveness, your cleansing, your empowerment, and your presence in their lives in a powerful way. God, in such ways that the world would ask, what is going on in there? Will we celebrate you, worship you, praise you, and make much of your name here in this place and across our city? We love you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, as always, we're gonna take just a couple minutes to sit and reflect on God's word and say, God, what are you saying to me?